0: I'm Michael Hainsworth. As the Delta variant fuels a fourth wave of coronavirus, small business in Canada is worried about another lockdown. This as we learn, only one-third of businesses are back to normal, and mostly those that can maintain distancing. The Canadian Federation of Independent Business is worried Ottawa is moving too fast on winding down support programs. It's turning into a wedge issue on the election trail. The Conservative Party of Canada is offering a GST break for the holiday shopping season. The Liberal Party of Canada is offering to pay up to 50% of the salary of new employees for six months. But back at the CFIB, President and CEO Dan Kelly tells me he's got a petition that calls for governments to commit to a plan to help small business stay open and avoid further lockdowns and restrictions.
1: You know, one of the biggest concerns in the minds of small business owners, now that the majority of them are finally at least open. Uh, is how do they stay open as we approach a fourth wave? And as governments now are pondering additional restrictions, vaccine passports, a whole host of other measures, business owners want to know what policies are going to be necessary to keep the economy open. Uh, we've called um, governments to to increase the use of rapid testing in, in small and medium-sized businesses to uh, to make sure that they're focusing not just on aggregate case counts, but but on hospitalization rates now that the majority of us are vaccinated. Uh, so we're we're really hoping that we can avoid any further business restrictions, the size of which we saw during the last over the last 16 months, particularly in provinces like Ontario that use lockdowns as their primary public health measure.
0: The Delta variant. Has it changed your position on any of this? I don't know that it has, but certainly it is a it
1: is a concern. Look, I mean, as public health officials themselves are admitting, COVID is endemic and and it's going to be with us for Kind of forever, uh, and and as a result, unless we're prepared to shut down the economy for huge swaths of time, we're going to have to figure out ways to deal with it. And it's one of the reasons why we're so concerned. Ontario, for example, just announced that it is indefinitely uh, keeping in place capacity restrictions—a fifty percent capacity restriction on on places like movie theaters, uh, banquet halls, um, any kind of gyms, any kind of events venue. They're not looking to lift that. They've now cancelled the reopening that was supposed to go into place in the last uh, in the next couple of days, and and that's now a I guess a semi permanent policy in Ontario. So if your bowling alley d- is unprofitable, doesn't make a dollar, doesn't even break even uh, at fifty with a fifty percent capacity restriction, and and you have no idea when that will ever be lifted, what do you do? And this is the fate, this is the situation that many, many independent business owners are facing right now in a whole swath of sectors.
0: I can imagine a small business that um, provides a service or a product that's a widget or a thing you can walk into a store and walk out of with um, would be tremendously concerned about these types of capacity restrictions. But large scale venues like gymnasiums, like banquet halls for uh, weddings and things of that nature... It it strikes me as as difficult to justify allowing increased capacity on places where people are going to be gathering and breathing quite heavily.
1: You know, I I, I certainly understand that that there are no there are differences between uh, being in a place for uh, you know several hours and being in a store for several minutes. Those those are two different things. But but the question is. Are we then never going to be able to go back to any of these kinds of uh, situations, even for vaccinated, fully vaccinated uh, Canadians? I mean, the other thing I guess we are pointing out to the Ontario government right now is that these restrictions are only in Ontario. We have COVID in in all provinces, but Ontario has had much, much harder restrictions than anywhere else in, in, in Canada. Uh, anywhere in North America. And in fact, for some of the restrictions that Ontario has used, they have been the strongest and used the longest anywhere in the entire world. COVID is not the worst in Ontario. It doesn't act differently here. Uh, But yet the restrictions are just that much more significant. And, And I guess these are the questions that business owners are asking
0: questions are being asked about why the province of ontario is a standout when it comes to the concept of vaccine passports where is the cfib on the idea that and as we've discussed with the institute previously that if you don't institute a passport at a government-based level then it's going to leave businesses to do it themselves
1: This is a confusing area, and there's no clear line, including no clear opinion on the part of the majority of business owners.
0: What's your opinion?
1: We've surveyed our members very recently, and and this is what we we found. It depends on what we mean by vaccine passports, and, and the level of support changes quite significantly depending on what that would entail. I think most Canadians and certainly our surveys show that most small business owners can get their heads around using vaccine passports for international travel. That's encouraging you know, foreigners to come to Canada for a vacation or a business meeting, but also Canadians to travel abroad. That, that part I don't think uh, is particularly controversial, uh, at least among the majority. Uh, secondly, I think for large events, if you are if you're have you know, a Blue Jays game, a Blue Bombers football game, Vaccine passports in those settings with a ticketed event, uh, I think people can get their heads around that too. And there is majority support among business owners for that. It becomes much more controversial, though, if you look at requiring vaccines of employees, and then even more controversial with even a greater split if that's then applied to customers in small business settings. So we have some experience with this. Uh, So for employees, that seems to be the big political football right now, uh, including on the federal election campaign, which party is going to have the tightest rules for civil servants right now is a big federal political issue, a wedge issue as it was expected to be. Um, But in a small business setting, you're not able to terminate somebody that refuses to be vaccinated. You have a responsibility as an employer uh, to accommodate uh, 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 people regardless of, uh, of, of anything. So you are, as a small business, uh, that let's say you, all your employees are front service line facing, what do you do if you have an employee that refuses to be vaccinated? Do you have to pay that person indefinitely uh, for the rest of their life? Uh, uh, in government, you might be able to shift them to a, you know, a job where they can work from home, uh, or you could continue to pay them because governments don't really worry about how much they're spending. Uh, but as a small business owner, it's a very different setting. For, for customers, it's even more controversial. Are we really going to get to the point where we have the 18-year-old host or hostess at a restaurant telling some big burly guy that hasn't been asking them to, to see their vaccine credentials and then pulling out their little thermal paper, piece of paper to determine whether and then reading it outside the restaurant to determine whether or not you're admitted and what are the risks to that person? in those kinds of settings we've had a little bit of experience with this manitoba used this uh, for a brief time in some small business settings quebec is announcing as of september 1st they will then use the vaccine passports for for restaurant dining and, and a few other uh, a few other spots so this is happening we've got to get our heads around it but small businesses have lots and lots of concerns at the end
0: of the day what's your position though
1: well, look, our, this is not our first choice. We are hoping that we can use other public health measures. But if it came down to it, this is the question that we asked business owners. Would they support a vaccine passport? If this was the only alternative to a lockdown, then, of course, most businesses say, well, I would rather serve 80% of my customers who are vaccinated as opposed to 0% of my customers in a full lockdown. Uh, but I'm hoping that we don't get there in Canada. This is an incredibly divisive issue with huge implications a small bit, we're, we're advising small business owners right now in advance of governments providing any kind of comfort on this, not to put in place a vaccine passport. They are at huge, huge legal risk of a human rights complaint or a privacy complaint. Even those businesses that are saying, you know, feel free to come in. All of our employees are fully vaccinated. Unless they have really strong legal permissions from those employees to publicize their personal health status, they are one privacy complaint away from a potentially bankrupting lawsuit.
0: Your polling meantime reveals that only one third of businesses are back to normal sales. What kinds of businesses are back on their feet? You know, some
1: businesses had a much lighter effect or were able to pivot fairly quickly. So uh, most businesses that that could switch to working from home fairly easily, where, where their staff were not customer facing. Uh, they've, they've ended up being better off. Uh, so the primary agriculture had lighter impacts. Construction, in many instances, had lighter impacts. Manufacturing, as they were deemed an essential service, had lighter impacts of the pandemic. But those settings where, uh, where you're, you were facing the public, your, your staff needed to connect directly. So that's retail, hospitality, uh, the tourism sector and personal services like hair salons, nail salons those were the sectors that were oh and arts and entertainment businesses those were the sectors that were most deeply affected because being in front of your customers face to face with your customers is in most cases uh, a big part of the overall product or service that you're providing and and those are the ones that were deeply deeply damaged and are trying to unbury themselves and that's as you can imagine for independent businesses in aggregate in aggregate numbers that's the, that's the largest chunk, at least half of small businesses are in jobs where pivoting to working from home don't, doesn't work re- really
0: well. Well, then let's talk about those businesses because you voiced concern that the federal government is moving too fast on winding down support programs. The Canadian Emergency Business Account Loan program is already closed and Ottawa is phasing out the wage and rent subsidy programs too. Uh, the CWS, CERS are expected to end after September 26th. Then you're calling on Ottawa to keep these programs until the economy is fully reopened. How do you define fully reopened and when do you expect that to be?
1: Well, look, I was hoping that that would be uh, this fall, but it keeps getting kicked further and further uh, away from us. And, uh, and every time we think that we're getting close, uh, there's another variant or another set of worries that, that pops up as we have with Delta right now. Um, but no, we're saying until all businesses are allowed to open across Canada... Until governments can pivot and and public health agencies can pivot and tell Canadians, okay, you know what? It's time to go back to work in your office. It's time to go back to the theater, to dining in restaurants with no restrictions. When all of those things, all the current business restrictions are removed and public health officials are telling us it's safe to return to normal life. That's when I think government and I should say, add that the border is fully open, not just to vaccinated tourists in limited circumstances, but, but wide open. When those things happen, then we believe that, that all of the support programs can, can begin to wind down. But that's going to be months and months away uh, from, from where we are today. And it's, you know, the, I was talking to a tour company operator who books tours overseas. And he said to me, Look, they're paid after the consumer has consumed the travel services, right? And so, they're starting to get busy again. They're starting to book stuff for early 2022, but they're going to actually receive some income in 2022 uh, for that. They need the staff right now to book them. But if, if it weren't for the wage subsidy, how would they be able to support themselves and until such time as they're back on their feet?
0: How is the plight of small business being addressed during the election campaign? You know, I, I was pretty
1: pessimistic. I was worried that, that the governments had kind of moved on and parties had kind of moved on saying, yeah, well, the majority of businesses are at least open now so we can focus on other things. But I, I've been pleasantly surprised so far. Both the conservatives and the liberals uh, on day one of the campaign put forward promises uh, to small business owners. There was some good stuff in both of those platforms for small firms and they focused on continuing and expanding some of the emergency support programs. So, uh, the Liberals have said for the tourism sector, the group I just talked about, that they will inclu- they will expand the wage subsidy up, up and get until at the end of the winter, and it will return back to the seventy five percent maximum level. They also said that they're going to expand their hiring incentive for business owners, and that will be kicked forward. Uh, will, will be eligible until March thirty first of next year. And the Conservatives have announced a couple of good things. One of them is that SIBA loan program you just spoke of. They're going to reopen the program and raise the maximum loan to 200000 uh, of which 25% will be forgivable. They provided their own hiring incentive in in that mix and a tax credit for investments in small businesses. So both of the two largest parties, anyway, have put forward some agenda items that uh, that that at least passed you know, some of the, the initial tests that we put in, in place.
0: The Conservatives meantime are offering 5% GST holiday for the holiday shopping season. You're not particularly enthusiastic about
1: this? Look, any tax reduction is a good thing. Uh, anytime consumers can, uh, can save a few bucks, that uh, means that maybe some of those dollars will be used for additional spending in a small merchant or at a restaurant, etc. So I, I don't want to crap all over a, a tax reduction. Uh, pardon, the, pardon the expression. Uh, what, what I am concerned about, though, is that if this is viewed as a big salvation to the retail sector that was closed in some parts of Canada for hundreds of days, uh, <laughs> Ontario closed uh, independent retailers for 225 days, if you can believe it, it's not going to move the dial. A 5% GST cut means that every business in the country has to then change their, let's say they do it in December as they floated, Uh, every business, right before Christmas, has to change all of their POS systems uh, to reduce their HST down by 5% or eliminate the, the, the GST in the provinces that aren't harmonized. Then they have to change that again at the end of the system. That's not uncomplicated on the surface. But the spending that this might elicit is likely to be shifted from November sales and January sales into December. So, somebody looking for that flat screen TV will buy it in December. December's already a decent month for most retailers. The other thing is that they provided no detail on how far this will go. So, if you, you pay GST, if you get your roof fixed... Is that going to be included in this? You go, you pay GST if you go out for a restaurant meal. Is that included in this? We're not sure that it is. A new car. I mean, new car dealers might, you know, might say, "Hey, this is fantastic! Buy your car in December." But what does that do to their sales in November and, and January? These, these are some of the practical concerns. So I think it, it's of great appeal to consumers. They like the idea of it. Uh, but if it's intended to help small businesses, I'm not sure that it's going to have much more than a very, very modest effect.
0: You mentioned that the Liberals are proposing to extend the Canada recovery hiring program that's scheduled to expire in November. That will allow employees to offset a portion of their costs of reopening by increasing wages and hours or hiring more staff. Is this a viable solution?
1: It is, although I worry that, there, well, there's two big flaws as I see this. Uh, the, the wage and the rent subsidy I will add, I mean, there's been crit- critics of continuing it, but I will say the way that the government has now designed it, this was with our advice, is the only businesses that get the wage of the rent subsidy are those that have seen a significant sales decline. So if your business is back to normal, you get zero from the wage and the rent subsidy. It's not going to companies that, don't, that can't prove that they've had a sales decline from one year to the next. Um, so, we think that it, is, it it already phases itself out as the economy improves, and that's why we don't think the federal government needs to start ratcheting it down. So, it is good news that they've expanded it, uh, brought it back up to the max 75% level for the tourism sector, but it leaves out tons of sectors that are really deeply hit, the ones that we talked about earlier, and that continue to be hit uh, as a result of COVID in, the, in in at the current time and we expect in the weeks ahead. The second big flaw is the Liberals have done absolutely nothing to help those new businesses that started up in 2020. There were tons of businesses that's, that, that came on stream. The business, you know, the 600 person or sorry, the 100 person restaurant was, was scheduled to open in March 2020. And then it was delayed a few months because of COVID, but opened nonetheless, because the person's entire life savings were spent creating that business. All those businesses that that were created are ineligible for any of the support programs right now, and the the prime minister himself promised uh, that he would fix that issue back in May of last year. Nothing has happened since, and they still, in their campaign commitments, have not announced any change.
0: Which benefits small business more, the Conservatives' refundable tax credit on child care or the Liberals' $10 a day child care plan?
1: I don't have any data from our members on that. Child care is an issue for business owners. They know one of the biggest issues our members are facing right now is the shortage of labor. Uh, it is a gripping problem as the economy comes back on, on its, uh, you know, back to somewhere closer to normal. Small firms are really struggling to find employees, especially those that they had to lay off, rehire, lay off, rehire. Understandably, some of those employees have looked at other sectors of the economy that were less turbulent. So childcare can certainly be a help in getting some workers back to work that, that may struggle otherwise. Um, we have not looked at the details of these uh, of the liberals and the conservative proposals on this. The, the liberals obviously announced this prior to the election campaign, uh, but business owners don't need me to tell them which program is right for them. And it really would depend on the nature of that individual family. Uh, it seems like those that are, you know, as as I've read about the commitments so far. Um, the conservative approach is more flexible, allows you, regardless of what type of childcare you have to have some benefit, uh, uh, to you, the liberals is designed at creating future spaces, uh, for people that, that really are struggling right now to find a daycare space at all. And then of course, uh, do that in the future at a lower cost. So I think there are pros and cons of both.
0: So this coming weekend, I'm taking my daughter to see that new Ryan Reynolds movie, free guy. How likely is it that this is going to be part of my new normal? Or are you concerned we're, we're going to have to pull back again?
1: Well, I took my 12-year-old son to see Free Guy last weekend. and Was it any good? Buddy, if we're not real, doesn't that mean that nothing you do matters? I am sitting here with my best friend trying to help him get through a tough time. Now, if that's not real, I don't know what is. It was it was actually pretty good, yeah. It wasn't it wasn't bad at all. So I was pleased that we we uh, were able to do that. It felt somewhat back to normal uh, at the at the the movie theater we were at. Fifty uh, percent capacity restriction in Ontario. Most provinces don't have that, but uh, but yeah, no. I think look, it's a worry for us that we may return to some degree of lockdowns in the future, uh, but. Gosh, we're going to have to get used to dealing with some of these restrictions uh, on an ongoing basis. They're not going back to zero anytime soon.
0: Dan Kelly is the president and CEO of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. Still to come from a physically distant CD Howe Institute. Should we worry about deficits when interest rates are so low? That's the topic of the Jack Mintz Lecture with Dr. Martin Eichenbaum, the Charles Moscow's Professor of Economics at Northwestern University. And on the 23rd, the Fed on a Tightrope. Inflation, Growth, and the Future of U.S. Monetary Policy, a webinar with Dr. William Dudley, the Senior Research Scholar at the Griswold Center for Economic Policy Studies at Princeton University. I'm Michael Hainsworth. Thanks for listening. Stay healthy. Stay safe. You've been listening to the C.D. Howe Institute podcast with Michael Hainsworth. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. The C.D. Howe Institute is an independent, not-for-profit research institute whose mission is to raise living standards by fostering economically sound public policies. The Institute is widely considered to be Canada's most influential think tank and a trusted source of essential policy intelligence, distinguished by nonpartisan, evidence-based research and subject to definitive expert review. Visit cdhowe.org and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thank you.